Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Um, I'm excited about the new series. Forgive me, my voice is, um, hopefully it'll, it'll last for the remainder of our morning. Um, somebody said, you're going through puberty, and I said, how appropriate for a marriage series, right? Um, anyways, so I'm excited to, to start this new series with you guys and, and to share. Obviously, things are a little bit different setup-wise <clears throat> than what we're, what we're used to. I thought it would be good, though, as we start this series um, to kind of have Andrea share a little bit about our story. Um, and so I'm going to have her come and just share briefly a little bit, um, kind of how we met, um, and then some struggles that we've had, and then maybe some things as it relates to our marriage that have been, um, been helpful. So, yeah. Okay, before we start, Mark doesn't know about this, and I don't normally get a chance to tease him, but this morning in the bathroom, (laughs) and I thought it was appropriate since we were starting this on marriage. This is his wedding ring, <laughs> and it was sitting on the little thing in the bathroom. I thought about that while he we were singing. He never does this. He never leaves his wedding ring, but I just thought it was funny how it was appropriate, appropriate it was that Thank he forgot you. that today. No, that was, just so you know, I just didn't take it off for, I can't stand that girl, you know, kind of thing. It, I was getting in the shower, right? So I, anyway, so thank you for embarrassing me. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to clarify that he had to replace his wedding ring with one from Family Christian, so he has to take it off every time the other he showers. One broke. But yeah. Hopefully, it's not a sign. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, Mark and I met at Cedarville University. I was a junior in college, and Mark was a freshman. I came from. I was a missionary kid in Brazil, so my life consisted of traveling between a big city on the beach to a little rural town with where homes were made of sticks to the occasional trip to America. So my life was full of travel, transition, exotic, weird things. And um, Mark came from a little small town in um, Ohio and probably moved, what, once in your lifetime? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And we met because we were both on a singing team at Cedarville, and it was a little traveling singing team, and we would travel on the weekends and um, sing in different churches, and we had about a, we were friends, and then it went through about an eight-month-long of I like you, and ooh, I don't like you that way, to I think I do like you, and I'm confused. <laughs> She's describing me. Okay, that's yes, all me finally in the Mark saw the light, and... Um, we were finally engaged and married after a couple of years. So um, when I married Mark, I had no reservations. It was the most special day of my life. I don't remember feeling very nervous at all. I just drank it in. This was like, you know, the best. I, you know, could not wait to marry him. But that first year of marriage, we fought so much over things that I never, you know, I thought I knew this guy. Um, we had a lot of fighting and growing and learning. Um, I can now say that after 20 years of marriage, we have a wonderful marriage. I love being married, and I love. we are still in love. And I can honestly say that I can tell him anything about myself. And, you know, I, I will not, I don't want to say I won't, be, well, I won't be judged, but I can share. We have shared everything together. Um, but that's grace. Um, we've had to grow, we have learned a lot, we have had a lot of pain, 
and selfishness and anger at times. Um, we've been through what we thought for a while, infertility. Um, we've been through um, times when I felt alone because I was at home with the kids a lot when he would travel as a youth pastor. Um, so I, I don't want you to think that we stand up here like, oh, we're the perfect we are perfect. We do everything perfectly. It has not been without its struggles, without pain. Um, but I will say that some of the practical things that we have had to learn and grow in is communicating, which I know is like a duh. You hear that all the time, but it's true. We've had to learn to communicate when um, I, I was a, from a family who communicated actually probably not appropriately so sometimes. We would yell or get mad and raise our voices when we didn't agree. Um, and Mark came from a family that just did not communicate at all. We, we, we basically ignored Yeah, if there's struggles, everything. we just... If there was conflict, the we, we all knew there was conflict, but we're like, eh. Yeah. And, and that was it. <laughs> and that was hard because that's... I wanted everything out in the open right then and there, and, um, and he just didn't want to talk about it at all. And so we had to learn and grow, and we both had to be willing to do that. Um, that is one thing. Uh, I think holding our marriage and the priority that it needed to have has also played a big part in it. We made sure that our marriage came before our relationship with our kids. We made sure that when things got busy and crazy and we weren't connecting, that we made time, that that was very important. Um, so those are some things that have been key. But the most important thing that has kept our marriage strong, that has kept our marriage close, is Jesus. And I know that seems so like, yeah, yeah, you're, we're in church, you're the pastor's wife. But it's true, because I, a long time ago, I began to realize that there was nothing that was going to make me feel secure, that was going to make me feel complete, that was going to fill all those longings in my soul. It wasn't going to be him, because he can't. And I began to realize the only person that can do that is Christ. And I'll tell you how it played out. When I was not spending time with the Lord and I wasn't focusing on the Lord, what would happen? I would start becoming more clingy. And why isn't he spending time with me? Oh, he's not this and that and he's not. And my focus would start becoming on what he wasn't doing for me. But when I was spending time with the Lord and I was growing and he was my satisfaction and I realized that I had everything in him and he loved me and he accepted me it was then that I could be full so that I could love him and serve him and work on meeting his needs and and I could forgive him because all of a sudden I would realize oh yeah um, I'm not perfect either and I do this sometimes and I do this and when I would read God's word I'd be like wow I really need to work on that Thank you, Jesus, that you forgive me. And because of that, I can forgive him. So the thing that kept coming to my mind is a cord of three strands is not easily broken. If that strand that weaves through your marriage, your relationship, is Jesus, and he's the one you're clinging to, that is what makes your marriage strong because he makes all the difference. And so I didn't know, Mark said, share our story, and he said, you have five minutes. So I don't know if I gave what awesome. you know. Okay. That's um, great. I'll, I will share. In our first year of marriage, I mean, Andrea grew up, like she said, in a, in a family where 
<coughs> family time was so value, valued because, I mean, she went to a boarding school, so when she went, would go home, I mean, it was like full-on family. I mean, it was just, they would go do stuff together as a family. I grew up in a family where family time was, let's watch five hours of TV and not talk to one another, okay? So that, that was what I grew up in, and, and so our first year of marriage was, the big thing was, you know, I'd sit down on a Saturday, and I love sports. I could literally watch I don't care who's playing. I could watch it all day long. I, I, see, I still could to this day. I mean, I absolutely love it. Um, it's for me just kind of a way to just decompress kind of a thing. And I'll just never forget having a conversation in our little apartment at Cedarville. <laughs> and I've been watching football for I don't know how long. And she's been sitting next to me the whole time. I mean, the whole time, right? And I'm like... Probably fuming. <laughs> right, yeah. And so it came out. She's like, it just... It just came out, this, this angst, right? Just, she's like, I just want to be together. And in my mind, I'm going like, what are you talking about? We are together. This is be- to me, being together was being in the same room, right? But to her, that's not how she defined being together. She defined being together. We're fully engaged. We're having conversation, those kinds of things. And that was something, that's something that I still have to work through to this day and deny my selfishness right, and to serve, so those are some things that just, that w- it's now kind of a joke between us, I just want to be with you, well, we both know exactly what we're talking about in that way, so, you know, the first year of marriage was incredibly difficult, but as she said, it's just the grace of Jesus that has got us to this point, um, soon to be 21 years of marriage, and so, we still struggle, I just kind of a, a, a story from last night, just kind of comical, um, Andrea was asking me, she's like, so what do you want me to share tomorrow morning? And so I said, well, I just want you to share kind of how we met, that kind of thing, a little bit about our story and, and, and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and, I, and I said, I, said um, I just want you to talk about how, like, the first years were really tough, and then, but now we have a great marriage. She's like, what? She says, why wouldn't it? Yeah, that's better than it's ever been. And she's like, well, I don't know if I'd say that, <laughs> right, kind of a thing. I'm like, well. Okay, <laughs> you know. Well, it's because you go through the ebb and flow, and it's <laughs> right. been kind of busy these past years. Yes, so. it has. So you can see, okay, we'll talk about this later. See ya. <laughs> Bye. No, thank you. Awesome. You have a coin on your table, and I want you to flip the coin. All right? Flip the coin. Go for it. How many tables have heads? How many tables did it land on heads? How many tables did it land on heads? Okay, those tables who landed on tails, all your marriages are going to fail at that table. All right? <laughs> Sorry. The real- Listen, the reality, though, of this is, and, and I want to I approach this series different than like a preaching kind of message. I want to approach this series more like a class, more like a, a situation. Kind of, that's why we have it set up this way, and you have a handout, and there'll be fill-ins and different stuff like that. But there's so much, I think, that we have a foundation that we have to lay when it comes to marriage in our culture today. There's a lot of different things we need to address and we need to, and we need to talk about. So forgive me, I'll just up front, if, if this comes out like there's, I'm just saying a lot, because I am. Because I think it needs to be said. And I'm just hoping that what's said this morning, this morning you'll be able to kind of marinate that on that a little bit with your heart and your mind. And then you'll be able to discuss it um, afterward as well. But the reality is statistics in our culture say you, the, you have about the same chance of your marriage lasting as you had about the chance of that coin landing on heads. 
That's kind of the way it is. That's okay, about 50-50 um, is kind of where we stand as far as marriage is lasting today in our culture. I mean, that's really encouraging, right? I hope it's not. Okay, it's not, it's not very encouraging when it comes to marriage. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, so is there a way? Is there a way for marriage to work? Is there a way for it to not just, is there a way for you to not just survive in your marriage? Okay, but is there a way for you to thrive in your marriage? And I believe there absolutely is a way for that to happen. And I believe that that hope um, and that purpose and that thriving in marriage comes from um, grasping once again the original intended purpose of what marriage was created for. I think we have to go there because I think that's where Jesus goes when he's addressed with the the issue of marriage. So we're going to go there in a minute. Um, But as we begin this series, we're going to answer questions, hopefully today if we can get through it all, um, questions like, and Jesus is going to answer these questions, where did marriage come from? What is marriage? And then what's the intent? What's the purpose of marriage? I think Jesus is going to answer all those questions for us in a conversation that he has that we'll look at later in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. But before we get there, let me just say a personal word, okay? A personal word of warning as we come into a series like this. If this series were like a prescription, all right, a lot of times when you get a prescription, there's like warnings, right, possible side effects. I think you need to approach this series kind of like a prescription. Prescription's intended to heal, Right? You get it because it's intended to make you feel better, but there's potential where you might have certain side effects that come along with that healing. So up front, I want to be very upfront with you that in this series, it, it's going to be difficult for some, and I get that. I, I totally understand that because it's going to bring up memories of failed marriages in the past. It's going to bring up um, feelings of current divorce situations that maybe some of you are experiencing. Um, it's going to bring up for others of you, longings to be married that have yet to be realized. All right, so I, I understand that as we approach a marriage series that there's going to be different feelings and emotions that are going to come from a series like this. It might bring up guilt from past decisions, um, past relationships. It might even bring up anger. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, some of you just flat out may disagree with. I understand that. But the reality is some of you are going to walk away and you may never want to come back to Living Church again. Okay, because of, of what we believe, what I believe the scriptures teaches. I get that. I understand that. I just want to be up front. And I, and I say all this, to, so when those emotions come, they don't like, oh, you're not taken by surprise by them. So when, when those emotions kind of bubble up to the surface, you're kind of able to recognize them. Um, and so this series kind of comes with a warning that um, what you're about to hear may hurt. Um, it may bring up pain. It may bring up unwanted emotions. But ultimately, the goal in this series is for there to be healing. The ultimate goal of this series is for you to come away with an understanding of that marriage can be great. Marriage is intended to be great. And that's the purpose of what we're talking about in this series. Now, I want to address those to our non-married friends this morning. I'll say this. You guys are really in the best position in this series. You really are. Um, You're in a position where you can discover what marriage is. All right, before you jump into marriage, you can go into marriage um, if marriage is in your future uh, with the intended vision of what marriage is supposed to look like. But I want you to know this, okay, for those of you who are, who are unmarried this morning, I want you to know this, marriage is a means to an end. It is not the end, all right? Your fulfillment and your identity is not going to be realized in being married. It's in Christ, all right? It's in Christ. So if marriage is not in your future, you can still experience all the same fulfillment that a married person can can experience because your fulfillment is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. That's for everyone, married or not. And you need to know that. 
All right, so I don't want you to feel like they're your second class or anything, because you're not. You can experience all the same fulfillment, all the same identity that comes from, for a married person, because that fulfillment doesn't come from being married. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that from the get-go. Um, and so I, I need to say that. So when it comes to holy matrimony, is there hope? Um, yes, there is hope. So where do we start? I, I, if you would grab your hand out, I want to work through some of these things this morning. Um, so where do we start? I think we need to kind of look at some of the assumptions that are in our culture today when it comes to marriage. Some wrong assumptions and right realities. And a lot of this is going to come from a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. I have it up here. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's a very good book, very academic, really breaks down some of these assumptions. So a lot of this comes from that book. But I think it's important for us to talk about these wrong assumptions. The first wrong assumption is marriage doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and I get that. Yes, 45% of, of marriages end in divorce, but 55% of marriages don't. We, we're so quick to look at the divorce but, r- rate, but we're not quick to realize, well, just as many marriages make it. Just as many marriages work. And so we have to ask the question, so is marriage the problem or is the problem really with those who get married? There's a difference. And we and need to grab that difference. So is it marriage's fault that marriage is in? Or is it the people who get married? Is it their fault? And how they approach their marriage that ends up in divorce. You need to make that distinction. That's important. Um, and studies will, say, will tell you this, that there were couples, I'll just read this to you, participating in a national survey. Um, and they were asked to rate their marriage on a one to seven. Seven being awesome, one being horrible. All right? And those couples that rated their marriage a one, meaning it was horrible, after five years, when they were asked again to rate their marriage, they rated it a seven. Seventy-seven percent of couples who rated it a one, after five years of just sticking out the rough times, after five years rated their marriage as a seven. So what that tells us, if people would just not give up too quickly, if they would just stick it out, this is just from a cultural perspective, all right? If, if couples would just stick it out, if they would just stick through the rough times, the potential of having a good marriage is there. And we need to understand that. So the assumption that marriage doesn't work, well, wait a second. The reality is marriages do work, and don't blame marriage. All right, it's, the, it's those that go into marriage that create the struggles. Assumption number two is marriage is boring. All of you, most of you would know that the comedian Chris Rock, okay, this is what he had to say. Do you want to be single and lonely, or do you want to be married and bored? And I think that's kind of the perception. Well, I don't want to, to be single is to be lonely, and if I'm married, I'm going to be bored. All right, so it's a lose-lose. That's kind of the perception that he has. And I think people, unfortunately, today have one of those two, if not both of those perceptions of marriage. And so what people do is they aim for something in between. Well, I don't want to be single and lonely, but I don't want to be married and bored, so I'll stay single and try to have an exciting sexual life. All right, so that's what they choose. Or they'll say, okay, well, I don't want to commit, so I'll live together with this person just in case my marriage does get boring, so I don't have to go through the whole mess of divorce. So they kind of try to pick in between one of those, or in, between, in one of those two options. So the, the assumption is marriage is boring, but listen, I'll tell you, I know people who are married, and their marriages are not boring. I've been tw- married 20 years. I can tell you my marriage is not boring. It's work. All right, but it's not boring. It's amazing. It's great. It may not be the best it's ever been for her, okay? 
but it's great. It's good, all right? It's definitely not boring. I'm not going to be boring after our little talk this morning either, okay? Um, so there's another option, and so we need to understand that boring marriage, if, if your marriage is boring, it's not marriage's fault that it's boring. Don't blame marriage. All right, again, it's going back to those who are married. We need to understand that. Assumption number three, married people are unhappy. And let's be honest, that's in many ways true. There are many married people who are incredibly unhappy. Some of you grew up in homes where the marriages of your parents were incredibly unhappy. And you've witnessed that. Um, But the flip side of that is there are married couples who are extremely happy. There are, and there's some in this room. I hope many. Um, So again, the... You can't blame marriage for that, for that uh, assumption. You need to look at the people who are married. And again, going back to the study, two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy within five years if they just stick it out. If they just stick it out. And then that led to one person, a sociologist, saying the benefits of divorce have been oversold. They've been oversold. It's an interesting thing to think on. Assumption number four, marriage is about my happiness, Okay. It's about my happiness. Not meaning me, Mark, per, you get where I'm going. Okay, thanks. Um, Tim Keller said this, marriage used to be a public institution for the common good, meaning we get married, it's for the community, we're here to help, we're a family, it's all this, it's about the community, it's about our family, it's that kind of thing. But now marriage is a private engagement for the satisfaction of individuals. Marriage used to be about us, but now we live in a culture where marriage is about me, my happiness, and if you stop making me happy, then I'm out. So it really becomes about the person's individual happiness. Now think about that for a moment. That puts incredible pressure on the spouse to live up to your expectation of happiness. That's impossible. No one can do that. I can never live up to Andrew, and she shared that, live up to her expectation of happiness. It's impossible for me. I can't. And so when marriage becomes about your happiness, you are putting an expectation out there on your spouse that's impossible for them to meet. It's impossible for them to meet. And then when we say, well, you stopped making me happy, now I'm out. Think about how selfish that is. I mean, just think about that, how incredibly selfish that that approach and that look to marriage is. Um, And so the reality is that puts an incredible pressure on a spouse that's impossible for them, an expectation on them that's impossible for them to meet. A fifth assumption, these aren't all the assumptions, but this is, these are several. The fifth assumption is because marriage doesn't work, living together is the best option. Because marriage doesn't work, living together is the best option. Now, the thinking on this is, that is and I get it, I understand, that living together improves the chances of a couple actually saying, hey, are we soulmates? All right, if you want to use that term, is there chemistry between us? Is this something where this is going to work out? All right, and so it gives time to see if we're compatible before taking the plunge without the commitment. And so then if you get into the relationship of a living together relationship, you're like, and this isn't working out for between the two of us, then we don't have to go through all the messiness of divorce. Okay, that, that's the thinking. And more than half of all people who get married today live together before they get married. Um. Another phrase they, they use to describe living together is cohabitation. All right, and I get that it's an understandable response from many um, k- children who've grown up in divorced families because they look at their parents and are like, man, their marriage was awful. I, I don't want my marriage to end up like my parents, so I don't want to go into something if I can't, if I'm not confident I can make that commitment. I understand that. But, the, but there's a lot of evidence 
And, and you can read Tim Keller's book and you can look at all the statistics, different things, but there's a lot of evidence that shows that those who live together before marriage are more likely to break up after marriage. But let me say this. If, you live, if you're here and you live together before you got married, that doesn't mean you're going to break up. All right? But the statistics say that if you do live together before you get married, it's likely that you will. All right? Now, let me, let me just have a word here. Ladies, if your man, how do I say this, doesn't think you're worth putting a ring on your finger, you need to think through if that man is worth being with in the first place. Does that make sense? If, okay, and, and I'll say this. A lot of times, living together is just a mask for selfishness, fear, and an inability to make a commitment. You remove that mask, and it's often what you get. You get a selfish, fearful, uncommitted partner motivated to be by your side until he or she is no longer happy. Seriously? Is that, is, is that what you want behind the person that you're living with? Just something to think about. Keller says this, to say I don't need a piece of paper to love you is to basically say I don't love you enough to give myself to you that thoroughly. Or that my love for you has not reached the marriage level. I mean, this is, this is where we're at. I'm just, we got to think through the reality of these things. All right, so, so we've got these assumptions in our culture. Where do they leave us? Where do these assumptions leave us? Well, I think if we were to process all these, kind of filter through these, I think what we're seeing is men and women today often look to marriage or a marriage partner to find their identity or to validate who they are, right? That, that, that to validate who they are. And so when that happiness is no longer provided by the marriage or the marriage partner then, or, or their identity is no longer validated, they leave. Marriage failure. And the reality is... and, and we're spending so much time looking at the created and trying, as Romans 1 says, trying to find our identity in what God created, marriage, rather than in the creator, him. And like Andrea said, it all comes down to realizing our identity is, is in Jesus. And so how did we get to this point? And the Bible explains it, Genesis chapter 3. Listen, Adam and Eve got along great before sin came along. And God created marriage before sin. And at the end of creation, he says, it's really cool. It's great. Marriage is awesome. Marriage was great. All right, and Adam and Eve got along great with God. They got along great with one another. Sin comes along, poof, everything breaks, right? So sin is the issue. The problem in marriages today is not marriage's problem. <laughs> it's the problem of the heart. It's the problem of sin, and I could go to probably your marriage, and you could come into mine, and whenever you have issues, it's probably at its core related to someone's selfishness or someone's fear or someone's inability to make a commitment, whatever it might be, and that's called sin. So at the core of our problem, it's not marriage's fault. Sin is the problem. All right, sin is a problem. So if sin is the problem, what's the solution? We need a person and a power that enables us to deny ourselves right? To give us the power to overcome our own sin. So the solution is the gospel, because that's what the gospel 
does. The solution is Jesus. If sin is at the core of every marriage's problem, then what we need is we need to continually be looking and finding our identity and receiving our identity in the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. That's the solution. And that's where we're going to go um, throughout this series, ultimately. But now I, I want to look at when you come into marriage, everyone has a starting point. Everyone has a starting point. You look at marriage through a particular lens. One lens is culture. All right, one of, the, one of the lenses that people look at through marriage or look at yeah, to marriage is through the lens of culture. Now, our culture says, all right, that marriage is about two people being happy. And whatever kind of marriage arrangement makes them happy, that's acceptable. So if a man is happy marrying another man and a woman is happy marrying another woman, so be it. That's what makes them happy. That's through the lens. If you're looking at marriage through the lens of culture. And if a man wants to marry his computer, true story, no lie. I'll send you the link. Ask me for it later. Okay, a guy wanted, he spent more time with his computer, had a better relationship with his computer, and literally went to court to try to see if he could marry his computer. But if marriage is about being happy, who are we to deny this guy of his happiness? That sounds absurd, right? But if that's what marriage is, then who am I to say this? And that makes him happy. Who am I to say he shouldn't do that. All right? If a woman wants to have three husbands, I have no idea why she would want that. To make her happy, so be it. And if a man wants three wives, fellas, enough said. All right? But if that's what makes them happy, and marriage is about two people being happy, then that's where, we're go- that's where we have to land. And get real difficult here. If a man believes marrying children will make him happy, why not? Who are you to deny his happiness? That's where we, that, um, think on it. If you're looking at the lens of marriage through making people happy, you get, and if that's what it is, that's not saying we're there, but that's the standard. So then what do we do? We look, well, someone's got to regulate that because that's awful. So what do we do? We go to government. We ask the government to regulate it. So these are the things, this is where we start. So let me, let me try to make this personal. So if I'm looking at the lens of marriage, meaning it's about two people being happy, then let's take my marriage with Andrea, all right? And let's say all of a sudden marriage, Andrea stops making me happy. I want out. I'm out. I'm done. She stopped making me happy, all right? But she says, no, 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 I'm, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want that. I, I, I want to make this work. What would make me happy, she says, is us staying together. Well, what would make me happy is me leaving. And me leaving then violates what? Her happiness. So who's right? I mean, this is the stuff that's there. We just ha- we don't talk about it. We just don't think about it. But this is where we are when we look at these things through the lens of mankind and culture. All right? And who's thinking about the children in these relationships? If marriage is about my own happiness, who's thinking about the kids involved in these relationships? When culture and mankind is left to determine morality in marriage, this is what we're often left with. A bunch of unhappy people trying to find happiness in each other and in doing so making each other more unhappy. So is there a solution? Yes, there is. There is a solution. And the solution comes from looking at the right understanding of the purpose and intention of marriage as it was originally created. So go to the book of Matthew, chapter 19. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Matthew, chapter 19. 
We need a solution that will enable us to have a power that resists our sin, a power to overcome our own sin, and to love someone else unconditionally in spite of our own selfishness. There's only one person and one power that makes that possible, and his name is Jesus. That's why he's the solution. Read Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 through 12, or if you're there, um, if you have a Bible app on your phone, we won't have it on the screen for you this morning. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 through 12. I'll just read it and make some commentary along the way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, there were two schools of thought when it came to divorce at this time in the first century. One school of thought was um, by one rabbi, it's... you're only allowed to divorce someone for infidelity, all right, for if marital unfaithfulness. The other school of thought, which they're asking Jesus on, is you can, give, you can divorce someone for any reason. If she gains weight, you can, you know, whatever. You can divorce her. If she burns a toast, you can divorce her. If she looks at you wrong, you can divorce her. That, that was, and that was the majority view. In Jesus, that was the cultural view in Jesus' day. And so that's what, they're, that's what they're asking Jesus. Jesus, what do you think about our culture's norm for marriage and, and, and divorce? And Jesus' response is amazing. It's, it's incredible. So he goes, haven't you heard, verse 4, which they had, they're Pharisees. They know the law. Haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning, what's Jesus do? He goes behind it and he goes upstream. And he goes, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at divorce. You're looking at how you can get out. And what you need to be looking at is what marriage was intended to be. You need to get back to the original purpose and function of marriage and how it's beautiful. And he says that, haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the creator made the male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. So then they ask, well then why then did Moses command and Moses didn't command it. This is where they got it wrong. Moses didn't command it. It's, they allowed it because of the hardness of people's hearts. <clears throat> that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus trumps him. He says, Jesus replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation, <laughs> so that, I mean, just Imagine this is what they're they're hearing all this and they're going. If this is a situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. They're going, holy cow! This marriage stuff is way bigger and way more serious than what we ever imagined. That's where they're at. They're like, Jesus just totally trumped everybody. He's like, you guys are just looking at how you can get out, and you need to realize what marriage is and what its intent is. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And what Jesus kind of does here is he takes this dusty, dirty picture of marriage that of years and years of cultural muck and mire, and it's been covered, and this is what they've, the culture has just come to believe. This is what marriage looks. This is the way it works. This is what happens. People leave, blah, blah, blah. Jesus goes, he blows it off. He cleans it up, and he says, no, this. Let me show you what marriage can be. Let me show you what it is. It can be amazing, and here's how it becomes that, and that's what he does in his response. And then verse 11, he says, Jesus replies, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men in the culture. 
that they lived in, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. And we'll come back to that later. The one who can accept this should accept it. So that's kind of the situation in which Jesus is, finds himself in this conversation with these, these Pharisees. And so Jesus is going to raise the bar for marriage. That's what he's going to do. Now, as Jesus' followers, Jesus and his scriptures are our authority for marriage. It's where we are. We follow Jesus. It's his, he's the one we follow. And so we follow his authority. We follow his teaching. And so what does Jesus have to tell us about marriage? First thing is this. You see it on your hand. Marriage observation is this. Marriage originated from the creator, not culture. Marriage originated from the creator, not culture. Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator. So he's saying there's a different lens that you need to be looking at marriage through. And it begins with looking at the creator, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together. So in verse four, he says, at the beginning, the creator, verse five, he says, the creator says, and then verse six, he says, it's this creator that's joined them together. So Jesus is like, I invented marriage because Jesus was there at creation. I invented it. You broke it. Let me tell you how to fix it. Let me tell you how to make this thing beautiful, how it's supposed to look in all its beauty. It's like speaking with Alexander Graham Bell, the guy, you know, the telephone deal. It's like we broke the telephone, and so we take it back to him and say, please, put it back together. He's like, okay, great. I'm the one, I know how this thing works because I invented it. And that's what Jesus is doing. And, and we read throughout Scripture that he is the originator of marriage, and he's the bringer of marriage. He brought Eve to Adam. Genesis 2, it says that. It says that God brings Eve to Adam. He brought Rebekah to Isaac in Genesis 24. He brought Ruth to Boaz in Ruth chapter 3. And then he sends Jesus, the groom, to the bride, the church. So marriage is his idea. Now, at your table, here's what I want you to talk about. If, God, if marriage is God's idea, then what are the implications of that? What's that mean for us? If marriage is God's idea, what are the implications of that? Just take a couple minutes at your table to discuss that. Go for it. All right. Let's have some dialogue. Maybe some brave people share with, share with us a little bit. What, what did you discuss? If God is the inventor of marriage, if, if marriage is his idea, then what are the implications of that? Anybody want to share? Yeah, Sarah. That it's holy. Right? It's God is holy, therefore marriage is is holy. Yes, what else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Forgiveness, right? You love him unconditionally. Excellent. Yes. Right. It's for his it's for a greater purpose. It's about his purposes. Good. What else? It's unchanging. Okay, Brent. What's that? Right. Yeah, if God's the center. Got to be at the center of marriage. Excellent. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Right. Great point. Yep. If God's the one that brings you together, then you have to give him the responsibility to keep you together as well. It's on him, right? Any uh, Great. Any, any other thoughts, comments? Here's what how I want to wrap this up. 
Um, we're going to, there's so much, and I, I know it's been like drinking from a fire hose, okay? I, I get that. I understand it. But I just feel like this stuff is so critical, and it's so important. Um, what I'm going to do is, at this point, I'm not going to f- try to finish all this, okay? There's more that we're going to dis- um, we'll wrap up the rest of this page next week. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come, actually. But here's what I want to do. As they're coming, I want to give some time for you to just kind of think over some of these things that we've discussed this morning. And there are lots of implications, right? If, if God's the one who invented marriage, then he knows how it's supposed to function best, right? He knows how this thing is supposed to work. So we need to go to him to understand how does this work? How is it supposed to function? And marriage is very, very good. That's what he said. He created marriage, and it's great, but it's not the end all either. You don't find your identity in marriage. And there might be some of you here this morning where you've been trying to find your approval and love through your spouse. And it's not happening because they can't meet that expectation. Only Jesus can. Right? Or you're trying to find whatever. Or you think married, being married is going to f- solve that for you. It can't. It won't. Only Christ can. And so as they play, I want you to, there's note cards on your table. And I just want to take a couple minutes for you to kind of process, because, again, it's been like a ton of information, and I get that. But what's your response to what we've discussed this morning, to what Jesus has to say? What's your response? What's Jesus saying to you this morning as it relates to marriage, to his invention of marriage? So grab a note card, and I want you to just take a minute, and I want you to write that out. What's Jesus saying to you this morning in response to what he's teaching us about marriage? Take some time to go ahead and think through that and write down.